Hi, welcome to Cherry Beckert's GovCon podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and best practices to guide federal contractors forward. I'm Susan Moser, a partner with Cherry Beckert. Joining me today is Marty Karaman, a principal and leader of our tax credits and incentives advisory practice. Also joining me is Bryn McNeil, an audit partner in our government contracts practice and Eric Poppy, a senior manager in our government contractor services group. Today, we're gonna take a look at a topic specifically for small business government contractors regarding what you need to know about PPP loan forgiveness and the employee retention credit known as ERC and the impact on government contracts. Thanks for joining me, Marty, Bryn, and Eric. So to start out, the CARES Act which was at the beginning of the pandemic, which seems like a long time ago now, it was almost two years ago, it was a lifeline for millions of small businesses in the U.S. The PPP loan program and the employee retention credit provided relief and cash for all kinds of small businesses, but for government contractors, the confusion and changing guidance and interpretations has caused much consternation, stress, confusion, and frustration. So now, almost two years after the initial programs were put in place, there's still lots of confusion. Today's podcast, we want to recap both of those programs, talk a little bit about information on the current state of the programs, how contractors are handling relief, the accounting for these credits, the tax implications, and how government auditors are looking at these impact on contracts. So that's a lot to cover in a short period of time. But first off, I want to ask Marty, who has been uh, instrumental in leading our firm's uh, ERC and PPP uh, forgiveness programs, to give us an overview of those programs and talk a little bit about the timing of them. Absolutely, and thank you, Susan. Um, Why don't we start with the employee retention credit and a little bit of the interplay with PPP. So we'll keep in mind that at the outset of the program, There were really two alternative programs for companies, one being PPP, which generally uh, was a lifeline to companies in order to cover a certain amount of wages, generally eight and a half to 10 weeks of wages. Um, And that came out of the beginning in March of 2020, March and April of 2020. ERC was deemed to be an alternative program for those that couldn't get PPP. Later, the employer retention credit rules were changed uh, specifically in December of uh, 2020 to allow companies that took advantage of PPP to also take a look back and see whether or not they were eligible um, for the ERC, the Employee Retention Credit Program. Let me get some background on now what it means to qualify for employee retention. The Employee Retention Credit Program is designed to help companies that were harmed by COVID in one of two ways. One would be uh, to the extent there was any government mandate directly impacting the business that limited it, specifically mandates uh, limiting commerce, travel, or group meetings specific to COVID-19. Alternatively, uh, companies were also allowed to qualify for the employee retention credit if they had a significant decline in their gross receipts, specifically in any quarter of 2020 compared to those same quarters in 2019 to the extent gross receipts declined by more than 50% in any of those quarters. Later, the employee retention credit was extended into what is now finally the first three quarters of 2021, and the rules were liberalized 
to allow companies to qualify for the employee retention credit under the gross receipts test if they only had a decline in gross receipts of more than 20% in any of the first three quarters of 21 compared to the first three quarters of 2019. Again, that's a more than 20% decline. So what we have found is for our government contracting clients, our government contractor clients, is companies, uh, generally speaking, are qualifying more under the gross receipts test than they are under the government mandate test and more in 2021 than they are in 2020 due to the fact that it's only a greater than 20% decline. So, so Marty, can you talk a little bit about, uh, first on PPP, again, just to refresh everyone's memory, um, the tax treatment for both the PPP forgiveness and the ERC and how that's going to be handled. Yeah, absolutely. For PPP forgiveness, keep in mind PPP was a loan that companies kept on their books until they applied for forgiveness. Now, under normal circumstances, the forgiveness of a loan is generally a taxable event for federal income tax purposes. But under the CARES Act, um, the amount of PPP forgiven is uh, expressly excluded from uh, federal income and from federal gross income and federal income tax. As a result, it doesn't create uh, any type of cancellation of indebtedness income. Additionally, the forgiveness of PPP is not treated as uh, the gross, re gross receipts to a company so that it does not have to be included in the calculation um, of a company's gross receipts in determining whether that company uh, qualifies for the employee retention credit. One thing I didn't mention earlier is that to keep in mind with the employee retention credit, there's actually separate, there are four separate credits, one for 2020 and one for each of the first three quarters of 21. Now, ERC and taxable income. With respect to the employee retention credit, uh, to the extent a company, say for example, qualifies for a 2020 employee retention credit, uh, that company would then have to reduce its expenses for wages for 2020 income tax purposes. So while it's not a direct income tax pickup when they receive the ERC, it is a reduction in wages uh, in the same year for which they claimed an ERC. So again, for example, in 2021, if a company took, took advantage of uh, one of the employee retention credits, one of the three, and say, for example, they got a credit equal to uh, the maximum of $7,000 per employee, um, then that company would have to reduce its expenses for wages in 2021 on its income tax return equal to uh, the amount of the employee retention credits that it received. Thanks. And so I know, Marty, this uh, and we've had a number of podcasts and webinars on various aspects of PPP and ERC, and those are all available on our website on demand. Um, but just uh, also wanted to ask, not every state sort of followed the federal government, right? So there's a, different states are handling it different. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct. So, uh, so we're, we're not going to get into the details of that on this podcast, but um, as you all are thinking about, you know, looking at the PPP forgiveness and ERC, it's obviously important to uh, consult with your tax advisor regarding how each of the uh, various states are going to be handling that. Um, so if that's not confusing enough, uh, let's switch to, uh, let's talk a little bit about the impacts of various contracts and reimbursement and how forgiveness, PPP forgiveness, and ERC should be accounted for financial statement purposes. So 
Marty talked a little bit on the tax side. I'm going to ask um, uh, Bryn and Eric to discuss the contract types and the accounting on the financial statement side. Um, and then we'll also talk a little bit about how this impacts indirect rates for cost accounting because uh, there, there definitely are differences from a tax standpoint, from a financial statement am, uh, impact, and for cost accounting. So, uh, Bryn, you want to give us an overview? Sure. So, I'll start out um, and we'll kind of talk about the PPP loans first, since um, many companies did receive the PPP loan in 2020 and hopefully full forgiveness as well. Um, just as a recap, the AICPA had put out kind of a standard or recommended way for how this um, accounting treatment was handled on the financial statements. For most companies, the PPP loan was recorded as debt with the accrued interest. And then upon notification of forgiveness, that debt extinguishment would be recognized and really there would be a pickup of other income to the P&L. This is generally the case for most contract types, but not all. So we believe that for fixed price contracts, the full forgiveness would be um, recorded. And even for TNM, although there has been a lot of gray and um, general kind of a not black and white on this, um, kind of our stance on this is that the labor piece on TNM contracts is more fixed and fixed like a fixed price contract. So we've kind of taken the stance that for TNM contracts, that labor piece would also be fixed and that forgiveness can be recorded. Where there's not as much um, kind of pickup on the forgiveness is really for those cost type contracts. And that's where there needs to be more of an analysis looked into kind of what piece of that forgiveness can be recognized and what credit may be due. As it relates to the ERC, um, for ERC, the AICPA has also released some kind of general and standard guidance and what guidance we really need to be following is that for a loss recovery and that really falls under ASC 410 and for that it really says that for any amounts that were previously paid and expensed to an employee as this payroll tax and you're now getting this recovery or this credit for it that claim for the recovery should only be recognized when the claim is probable. And the way that we've kind of helped companies or encouraged companies to kind of determine that that position of probable is when there is a known amount for what the ERC credit will be for 2020 or for each quarter of 2021, and you're really ready to file that amended 941. That's a pretty good indication of what's probable although companies will need to use their own judgment when it when it does come to what amount will be recorded. But for that, when the amount is known, really there's just the receivable and the income that then is recorded for that ERC credit. Great, so, um, so that's on the financial statement side. So Eric, why don't you talk a little bit about this whole issue of the credit? Um, and why this is significant and, and unfortunately why a number of contractors have been surprised both on the, the PPP forgiveness and on the potential ERC credit 
um, when they do have flexibly priced contracts. So maybe start out, just talk a little bit about the, the credits clause under FAR Part 31, and then um, a little bit more about how this is impacting companies on uh, with indirect rates. Sure, and, and thanks, I'm happy to talk about that. So we're getting a ton of questions from contractors on, you know, we received a PPP loan and received forgiveness, we received ERC, but we're hearing that we might have to give some money back and we're pretty confused about this and it's definitely there are a lot of complexities depending on your contract type so you know very similar to what Bryn was saying from a fixed price standpoint if you have most, pretty much all fixed price contracts um, you're really not impacted too much in a significant way um, however if you do have fixed price works that fixed price contracts that you have to provide certified cost and pricing for you do need to incorporate any credits into those uh, into the negotiations or if any pricing actions that are subject to uh, FAR Part 15. So the credits clause, which is FAR 31201-5, um, that is what the crux of this confusion really is. Um, and that is pretty much saying that as part of the composition of total cost, um, credits, is, it's, it's less any applicable credits. Um, so from if you have, uh, you know, again, similar to what Bryn was saying, if you have TNM work and TNM that labor piece really is more fixed, this really isn't impacting that, uh, impacting you from a rate standpoint or from a credit standpoint. But if you have materials and you're applying GNA on top of that or any other indirects, this could impact you. And if you do as a contractor, primarily all cost plus work, this really could impact you because of that credits clause. And because of the of FAR 31201-1, which is the composition of total costs, you need to apply and recalculate that impact of the credits for PPP and ERC into your indirect rate calculations. And that could potentially impact how you're pricing to what you're billing to then any settlement um, later down the line too. Um, so this would impact if if you have cost plus work you're supposed to issue a direct credit back for that direct labor on that cost plus contract and then from an indirect standpoint if you received uh, if some of the if some of those if the erc or ppp offset some indirect cost um, rent any benefits things along those lines you would need to credit potentially the pool for that rate calculation um, so it's definitely complex uh, there is guidance that DCA has put out. Um, some of it doesn't necessarily, um, it, it, there's definitely gray area in the interpretation of that, um, but it really can impact the pricing and the reimbursement aspect of, from these credits on your indirect rates. So on September, 20, uh, September 21st, this past fall, 2021, uh, DCA actually put out guidance on how to calculate these credits um, and it is for the title of the document was actually frequently asked questions on COVID-19. The questions that specifically addressed indirect rates were 17, 18 and 19 and give straight examples. But, you know, Susan, as we get into the uh, incurred cost submissions for in the audits for 2020, 2021, and now we're uh, and those all being submitted here in 2022. I'm sure this is going to be a topic that is uh, really scrutinized by DCAA. 
I bet you there's going to be more guidance that comes out on how to handle this. Um, but, you know, to summarize in short, if you have a lot of cost plus work or if you put any indirect rates on the material portion, uh, that is where these credits really can impact you from a cost accounting standpoint. Yep. Thanks, Eric. And so, you know, as Eric mentioned, definitely more to come on this topic. Um, you know, the IRS issued guidance after guidance after guidance, which caused lots of frustration. Um, DCAA, which is Defense Contract Audit Agency, when they issue guidance, they're actually issuing guidance to their auditors, not to contractors, although it's usually uh, referenced by contractors. But their guidance is not always uh, let's just say we don't always agree with their guidance and um, their initial guidance um, that they issued on this topic was uh, last, I think, January of 2021. Um, this latest that they issued in September, which unfortunately they never posted to their websites. A lot of companies haven't even seen it. Um, again, we expect that there will be additional information on it. Uh, we will continue to um, report on that. We, we typically have in January or, um, a DCA Hot Buttons um, uh, webinar that does cover the latest. So I'm sure we will be revisiting this topic. But um, we wanted to, uh, to just provide this summary because, again, we do get lots of questions. Um, we do want to thank you all for joining us. If you do have uh, any questions or uh, specifically to your situation, uh, please feel free to uh, email myself at smoser at cbh.com or Eric Poppy at epoppy at cbh.com. Um, and we'll be uh, sure to try to help you out. Um, please join us again for our next podcast. I hope you all found this informative. Thank you.